Let's open up our Bibles together. Uh, This morning we're going to be spending our time in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So we are at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, I would encourage you to pick one up over on the resource table in the corner of the room so you can follow along with us. But we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we are going to spend our time on verses 1 through 19. So this is God's holy word. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, And then he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God." But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached and so you believed. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we of all people are to be the most to be pitied. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Let's pray and ask for God's blessing on our time. Father, as we uh, consider the resurrection, as we uh, consider the significance of it, uh, not only in history, but in our own personal lives, we pray, God, that you would help us to see uh, the amazing amount of hope uh, that shines so ever bright when we consider our risen Savior. We pray uh, to his name and for his glory. Amen. All right, what excites you? What do you enjoy talking about? Uh, What brings a smile upon your face? I know if you were at my house this morning, it had been very easy with our children. What excited them was going to get their Easter basket. Uh, There was this smiles everywhere. The older kids, not so much. They're like, we're still doing this. But the younger kids, they were just excited. There's other things that excite us. Uh, Maybe a vacation you went on, you just couldn't stop talking about it. Maybe it's food, maybe it's sports. I was talking to a new grandpa this morning, and his his face just kind of lit up in a smile as he talked about how uh, the grandchild is doing. There's just so many things in this world that captivate us, that capture our hearts and minds. These matters, they resonate within us, they're important to us, they produce joy within us. We like to celebrate them. 
And, uh, and a lot of those are not bad things. So I, I'm not trying to create a, a dichotomy between all these things are bad things and the only thing that should really make you joyful is what I'm about to say. But what I am stressing is I think if we were here with Paul and we we're talking to Paul and I asked Paul, you know, what excites him? I think there is one particular subject matter. I think there's one particular area where he, he, he consistently talks about throughout his epistles. And it's this, the risen Lord, the, the resurrected Christ. It's what excited him. It's what brought a big smile to his face. The fact that we have a Savior who is alive, who is ruling and reigning and one day returning in glory for you and I, that is what brought great joy beyond measure in his heart. And I pray that that would make a difference for you this day. That's our hope. As we spend time in God's word, that we would leave here with a greater affection towards Christ, that we would be excited by the fact that he has risen, he has risen indeed. Well, as we look at why the resurrection matters, we're going to break down the passage really simple. So note takers, this is going to be an easy one to follow along. We're going to begin by looking at the resurrection is history. This is a real deal. It's not a fable. It's not a legend. This really happened. And then secondly, we're going to see that the resurrection is hope. So let's get started as we pick up at verse 1 and we see the resurrection is history. Now, if you were here last week, we looked at the, really the question, why does the death of Christ matter? And Pastor Andy unpacked the book of Hebrews, uh, the passage he went in, and, and, and really we saw that his death is significant for you and I. Well, today, we're going to focus on why the resurrection matters. Because it is central to the church. It's central to the gospel. Without a risen Lord, there is no gospel. Understand that. Without a resurrected Savior, there is no good news. And that's what we're going to see. Well, as we look at the resurrection in history, the first uh, aspect I want us to take note of is that we see the Lord's power demonstrated. We see the Lord's power demonstrated through the resurrection. Read verses 1 to 4 again with me. It says, Now I want you to remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I approached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you of first importance of what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Now, Paul is writing to what church? Everybody say it. Corinth. If you know anything about Corinth, it was kind of a hot mess. It was about as dysfunctional as you could come. And not only were they often uh, embedded into sin, one of the things they did is they really liked to major in things that weren't important. They got distracted real easy. They had kind of a spiritual ADD when it came to it as a church. And notice what Paul is doing right here in our passage. He's reshifting their focus, and he's going back to the basics He's saying, we, we need to remind you of the gospel we preach. And then notice what the content of the gospel is here. It's not a bunch of th theology necessarily that you and I would immediately equate gospel. It's with these historical facts. Notice what he says. He died. He was buried. And what? He was raised 
in accordance with the scripture, that, that those three things were of first importance, of great significance, that his focus on the example of Christ, his teaching on the Christ, those are important. But what was really important in this setting was the historical fact that Jesus died, he was buried, and he was raised in accordance to the scripture. And what we're supposed to see in all of that, that what happened was supernatural. That this is God's power on display. You and I, we have never known somebody apart from Jesus who died and three days later their body was resurrected from the grave. We've known people potentially who have, who have, uh, who have flatlined, who we thought were dead in a moment and then came to life. But nobody three days later. So when we see this, we need to understand that this is supernatural. That this is for real. That this is historical. I'm one of those people that I do not like not knowing how a, an illusion or a magic trick works, if it's a good one. Because, I mean, some of them are just bad, like, like you're not that impressed. But I don't know about you, there's been a couple times that I've seen some magic tricks, some illusions, and I was baffled. To the point that I was kind of scared. That this person might be like an instrument of Satan. That they have some supernatural, like how in the world? But luckily, we live in 2023. I can go online and search, and then usually you'll be able to find how it actually transpired. How they took that card that the person had, and next thing you know, it's across the room with their signature on it. And like, how did they do that? And like, oh, this is how. It was all sleight of hand. You see, and that's really what society and the world has tried to explain away for the last 2,000 years. Some of the explanations for the resurrection, it's a myth. It's just made up. Uh, There's so many contradictions in the Bible. How do we even know what was written is true? Miracles can't happen, so this obviously is not real. The body was stolen. That's a good big one. Uh, That is, death was faked. Or lastly, they were hallucinating, that they thought they saw the risen Lord. You see, none of these explain what happened, because why? It really happened. It really happened. Acts 2.22, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So we need, to, we need to come to the realization of this, that this was historical fact, that Jesus's heart stopped beating, that Jesus's lungs stopped breathing, that his brain stopped functioning, that Jesus didn't appear to die, he really died. And that's why when we see that he is then raised, there's no other explanation for such a change, such a turn of events, than the supernatural power of God. Revelation 1.17, fear not, for I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Well, do you believe in this? Do you believe in the resurrection? Are you, like the world that we live in, still a skeptic? Still trying to explain away this reality? Did Jesus really die? And why is this relevant to you and I? 
Because we see not only the Lord's power demonstrated, we see lots of proof displayed. Go on to verse 5 with me. It says, Then he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that it is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. You see, not only do we see the Lord's power demonstrated in the resurrection, we see credible evidence of his appearance. There's proof galore historically that he was resurrected, that he was raised from the dead. So we started the church 18 years ago, uh, August 2005. I graduated seminary in May of 2005. And when we came back, my father-in-law and I went on a fishing trip. Uh, We went up to the cabin that we normally go, but supposedly, allegedly, earlier in the summer, the fishing is better. I had never experienced it, so we went up there. On that fateful night, Joe and I were fishing. I had the biggest fish I have ever had on my fishing pole, except maybe this fish I caught and actually did bring in down in the ocean uh, a few years later, but it was enormous. My pole was bent in half. We, we stayed a little too late out fishing, so it was getting dark. It was kind of dust. The water was dark. It was hard to see what was going on with this giant, I'm convinced, probably 40 inches, at least 40 inches. It might have been the record fish ever to come out of this lake. So we were all excited and nervous. So my father-in-law with good intentions in play, he grabs the net and he goes in to catch the fish and bring it in. And when he did that, he ended up separating the fish from the hook. No fish. Not that I'm still bitter 18 years later about that. And I'm calling him out in front of the congregation. But I just, yeah. Now, the fish has probably grown over 18 years in my storytelling. I might have caught a bigger fish since then at the lake. But in that moment, and and you guys are listening and like, yeah, this is a good fishing tale. But there's no evidence. Now, what if all of a sudden I pulled out a bunch of pictures of the fish and I had 20 people that were on the boat with me? You might buy it, right? But you're questioning the validity. Now, my father-in-law might vouch for me just because he still feels bad because he lost the fish for me. But you understand, like this is not, we, we need to get like the return, the, the resurrection of Christ. It wasn't that he appeared to one person, took off, and now everybody's trusting in the testimony of one individual. No, that's, that's not how it appeared. Mark 16, 14. It says, afterward, he appeared to the 11 uh, themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he he had risen. You understand? He was dead, now he's alive, and he testified to that by, by appearing to all of these people. And we need to understand, them testifying that they saw the risen Lord did not help them. Do you understand that? 
It put them in the crosshairs of, of persecution and suffering. It was suicide for their businesses. It was suicide for their careers. It was suicide relationally. And yet they could not not testify to the fact that their Savior had been risen from the dead. Acts 1-3, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. I think the world gives a false narrative of you and I, those who follow Christ, that we lived, believe in this, this ridiculous story. Like this is, this is more far-fetched than my giant fishing tale. And like what a fool, what a naive, gullible uh, idiot that you would buy into this stuff. And that, friends, that's, that's not accurate. That we have a, a plethora of evidence, not to mention the Holy Spirit's inspiration of the Word of God that says, even Paul, think about it. Isn't Paul one of the greatest testimonies of this reality? I persecuted the church. I hated the church. I was there when Stephen was stoned, and then I ended up having Christ appear to me, and it changed everything. And now I'm being persecuted and I'm still willing for me to live as Christ and to die as gain because he saw the risen Lord and it changed him forever. Well, do you doubt in the resurrection? Are you like Thomas? That you need to see it to believe it? Will you trust in his testimony? Do you see the overwhelming evidence to believe? So we see that the resurrection is history. Power demonstrated, the proof displayed. And because it's real, this matters. Because this really happened, you and I have a living hope. Let's first look at the parallel relationship. Read verse 12 with me. It says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been, has been raised. We need to look at the negative side of this discussion. So what was going on at Corinth is there were some people in their midst that said, there is no way that the dead are raised from the, uh, from the dead. There's no resurrection of the dead. We need to understand Greek culture. There was typically a belief that only the soul was immortal, so the body would just die and decay. It's done. So there's no chance of it resurrecting. Uh, we, we see a little bit of that tension in the book of Acts 17.32. It says, Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But then the, the same people in this church who believe there's no resurrection of the dead, were claiming to believe the gospel. And in the gospel, the gospel says that Jesus was what? Raised from the dead. So they're, they're saying there's no resurrection of the dead, but they're also saying that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Do you see the tension? It's what we commonly call politicians. They're talking out of both sides of their, both sides of their mouth. And he's calling them out into the inconsistencies of what they're believing. If you believe Jesus was raised from the dead, then you got to believe there's a resurrection of the dead. If you don't believe there's a resurrection of the dead, then stop believing that Jesus was raised from the dead. You can't have both. And what we know, according to Scripture, is that Jesus is the God-man, that he took on flesh and dwelt among us. So either he was raised 
or he was not raised. He's either alive right now, that's the option, or he's still in the tomb. That he's nothing but bones that somebody hasn't found out somewhere in the Middle East. What is it? And notice what he says. If this is true, we're liars. You are fools. We have no hope. This is a waste. This is pointless. Kind of practically apply it to today. You guys should be out eating somewhere and eating candy and doing stuff with Easter bunnies because there's really no point in this if we have a dead Savior. So that's the negative side of the discussion. But the positive side of the discussion is this. If the dead are raised, what can we have hope in? That we can be raised. That if Christ was raised, the dead can be raised. Everybody can be raised who trusts in, in Christ. Uh, my, my son just got done with a history project a couple weeks back. And he ended up doing it on the race to space. And if what, you know what I'm talking about, it was really the battle between uh, the, the, Ru- the Russians, USSR, and the United States being the first people uh, to end up in space and then ultimately to the moon. And if you've followed that historically and you know, uh, a lot of it was based on hypotheticals. Because there was a point where when people would talk about us going to space, it would sound like you're insane. Kind of back to the future that we're going to be flying around in our cars like, yeah, okay, buddy. And then what ended up happening? We actually went to space. We put a man on the moon, and it showed what was possible. And even now, as we even talk about potentially going to Mars, it seems not as far-fetched, right, in light of what we've seen. Now, this is not a great human comparison because this is not about human effort on our part and ingenuity and creativity. But what we need to see is what we see in Jesus being resurrected. It gives you and I a hope of what is possible. It gives us not just a hope. It gives us a a confidence and assurance. It gives us a preview. It gives us a, a foretaste. Listen to what Romans 6, 5 says, For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Philippians 3, 10, I want to know him, the power of his resurrection, and may share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. His conquering of death gives us hope that you and I won't decay. That doesn't mean we won't die in this earth. Because the truth is, unless he returns in glory before you and I die, there's a good chance that most of us will die. And we, we will be buried at some point. However, with that said, that doesn't mean our life ends. What we believe according to Scripture is that when we die as believers in Christ, we immediately go into the presence of God. But at the same time, we're also looking forward to a day when God will resurrect and a glorified body and reunite us with our spirit. So that is our hope in light of what Christ accomplished. Do you see why the resurrection matters? Do you see why we need not fear? I mean, think about it. What happens after you die? What a scary question without the hope of the resurrection. You see how Easter gives hope because that's the the parallel relationship that's important for us to grasp. But notice the problem that arises. Because it's not simply that the dead can't be raised. And this is key and this is kind of central to our whole message 
this morning. The bigger issue is where you and I stand if Jesus is still dead. Read verse 17 with me. We're going to read 17 and 19, but I really want you to focus in on verse 17. It says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are all people most to be pitied. Do you understand verse 17? What, ha- what is true if Jesus has not been raised from the dead? Every single one of us is here is still in our sins. Do you get that? I mean, imagine, so we're coming up, I don't even know what the date is, we constantly are flexing on it, but when taxes are due, tax day, I think there's been some, some exceptions made in California, so I don't know if it applies to everybody, but imagine you, you write your check, you owe so much on taxes, you give it to your friend, they're going to take it to the mailbox, they don't take it, they forget about it, it actually gets thrown away. Boom, tax day comes and goes. You never paid. And then all of a sudden they come back with a bill, but it's not just what you owed. It's penalties because it's not been paid and all that stuff. Do you understand the problem was you are, your debt is still outstanding. And what we see here is, is that is what is true if you and I are still in our sins. I mean, the Bible's clear. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We go down Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. So we, we are in, in debt. We, we stand under the wrath and condemnation of Christ. And that's where our hope is in the gospel, right? And in the cross. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse by becoming a curse. For curse is anyone who hangs on a tree. So he, he paid that debt through the cross, but only if he conquers death. If he just died on the cross, and that's the end of the story, we, you and I, are still in our sins. But that's not true. That's why later in this chapter, Paul could say this, 1 Corinthians 15, 55. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Why is he asking that rhetorical question? Because it, it is a question that we know has been answered because Jesus has conquered the death. He has made the payment it's validated redemption. John 8, 24, I told you this, you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Christ did not accomplish anything if he does not conquer death. The cross was defective. Do you understand that? Apart from a risen Lord, We've got people who are battling cancer. Imagine it's a treatment. At the end of the treatment, the treatment did not work if Jesus is still dead. But we know what is true. It did work. He's alive, so instead of us still being in our sins, for those of you here that know Christ, you are no longer in your sins. You've been made alive, that you've been forgiven, that, that you have a place in heaven awaiting you. When, when God comes and returns in glory, when Jesus, he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Great is your reward. He's going to embrace you. We should not be pitied. If anything, we should be the most envied of all people. Because we are right before a holy and righteous God. But I do want to pause slightly. 
because <clears throat> I, I know in a room of this size, I would be naive. I would be gullible to think every single person here is trusting in Jesus Christ. I would be foolish to think that everybody here is uh, not in their sins. So I do want to say these sobering warning words to you if you have not turned to Christ. It's as if Christ is still in the tomb. And you are still in your sins. And if you are still in your sins, you will one day have to stand before God and he will not embrace you and accept you as his child. Instead, he will justly punish you for your sin. Do you see the hope in this though? Do you see that even though we were doomed to hell in eternal punishment, God made the difference in Christ? Have you turned to him? You see that he has conquered death for you and I. Years back, I came across a testimony, and it was, it was powerful. Uh, the testimony is Gary Habermas. Uh, he is well-known in the academic world. At the time that this tragedy struck him, he had been in the academic world for about a good 20, 25 years He's considered one of the foremost experts in the resurrection. Devoted his life to the resurrection. The historical, theoretical aspects of kind of evidence and and validation of why this really happened. And then something happened in his life that radically impacted him. 1995, his wife, Debbie, Uh, had what appeared to be flu-like symptoms, and she didn't get better. So they took her to the doctors, then they took her to the hospital, and she had an aggressive form of stomach cancer. Four months later, she died. So here's this guy, 43 years old, widowed with four kids. And think about, you know, he's been spending his whole life studying the resurrection, and thinking about it. And, you know, he could, he could write a paper and he could go before even unbelieving world and give a defense of the resurrection. But here in the moment, he's dealing with the real-life trauma of losing his best friend. And one of his students asked him the one day, and it was really thought-provoking to him. He said, where would you be now? Where would you be Gary, if Jesus hadn't been raised from the dead. And he writes, if God raised his son, then there was an answer to my wife's suffering, even if I didn't know what it was. But I did know this. If Jesus was raised, then Debbie would be raised one day. It was sufficient to know because of Jesus' resurrection, we would be together again. And for all eternity, the force of resurrection faith for all who trust in Jesus Christ, through all of our pain, this truth has never failed to comfort me to provide tremendous peace. I'm under no delusions that everybody here today is coming because they've been sailing through blue skies and calm seas. 
I know some of you here today whose family have cancer. I know some of you, we talked about it, Jamie Schmitz, the Schmitz family. Some of the children are here today. They just lost a grandma. It's real life. Some of you are, are in relational turmoil. There's divorces. There's sickness. There's work. There's, there's all of those things. And God is aware of those. But friends, you know what the hope is in all of that? We have a risen Lord. We have a resurrected Christ who's ruling and reigning, and he is one day coming again. I think every time we experience that obstacle in life, every time we have to deal with those difficulties where it is so hard to live in this world, you turn on the news and it's a mess. You look in your life and it's a mess, and you're like, God, I I don't know how much more I can endure. Ask that question. Did he raise Jesus from the dead? Because he did, he did, and he will get us through it. Friends, there is going to be a day, it is the day I long for more than any day, when he comes and he wipes away my every tear. That is a promise, that is a certainty for all of us here who trust in Christ. First Thessalonians 4.13, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Hallelujah. Let's pray. God, we come before you right now and we acknowledge what you already know, that this world is hard the burdens that we often face in this life are, are difficult and exhausting. And uh, so many times we want to just wave the white flag and give in and quit. We don't think we can make it. But God, we rejoice in this truth. We stand on this foundation that as we endure trials and tribulations and suffering, we are not doing it alone, that alongside of us is our risen Savior, that he is ruling, that he is reigning, that he is conforming us more and more to his image, that he is working a good in our lives, that he's bringing glory to your name through us, and we just long for the day when he returns. I pray for anybody here right now that doesn't have the hope that we have, that doesn't know this Jesus that we speak of, that this might be a monumental day in their life, that this might be a defining moment where God, for, for you change their very eternity as you open up their eyes to believe in the resurrected Lord. We pray this in the, the powerful, wonderful, and precious name of Jesus. Amen. Please stand as we respond through song.